Let's pray and get started. Father, we, uh, uh, we do, as, as uh, Becky prayed, Lord, we do lift up the, uh, our nation. And Lord, I just think it can't get any crazier. And so, God, I, I thank you that you're the one stable, sure thing we have in our lives. And we do pray for a healing for this nation. We pray for a change of heart, change of attitude. You know, God, just let us focus on, on the important thing, and that is following you and walking with you as believers. I pray, God, that we would shine brightly during this time. As believers, that you would be lifted up and exalted and God, that in, in, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the craziness, Lord, let us be that bright shining light, that stability, honoring you. And Lord, even tonight as we look at this whole idea of marriage and what does that mean and what does that look like, God, let us be the example to the world of this thing that you designed that we call marriage. And God, let it, let it be a bright and shining testimony to the world. And so we do give you this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you care about, uh, Lord, our lives and uh, how we live. And we thank you that you've given us your word to guide us. So bless this time, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as we... Uh, Get involved here tonight, just a little bit of, of uh, I guess, some introduction as we start getting into this, as we start thinking about, listen, again, Ephesians, the interesting thing, he gives three chapters of doctrine, then he starts some practical stuff, and to me, he gets extremely practical here at the end of chapter five, beginning of chapter six, and talking about family. What is family? What does it mean? What does it look like? And so as he starts, he starts about marriage. What does marriage look like? Now listen, not marriage according to the world. What does marriage look like according to God? Because I believe, listen, I believe we have horrible examples. And we need to be people who, I'm not gonna say, follow and say and do what the world does. I wanna follow and say and do what God says. And here's the thing. Biblical marriage is two sinners grabbing each other's hand and trying to honor God and walk with God. That's what marriage is. When, when I think of marriage, I think that's what I think. Even when we, you know, when we do every, every marriage that I do, one of the things I always say is it's two people joining hands to honor God with their lives and who they are. And so we need to kind of keep that in mind. Listen, marriage isn't what the world says. Marriage isn't what the country legislates. I, for one, I, I don't like the idea that the world is trying to define marriage for me. We're gonna look tonight, marriage is one woman, one man, joining, as I said, joining hands and walking with God. It's not two men, it's not two women, it's not one man and 15 women, it's not one woman and 15 men, it's one and one, and you know, I know that's old fashioned. Some people are saying, how can you be so archaic? Here's the interesting thing, think about this, and we'll look at it, God, gave us marriage in Genesis chapter two. All the way in Ephesians chapter five, which is a couple thousand years after Genesis, Paul is defining marriage with that same, same example. It doesn't change, listen, just because we're 2,000 years removed from 
what Paul wrote doesn't mean that we're gonna change it and do it our way. So God defines it, and again, as we think about it, now, one thing I thought about as I was preparing this time is, you know, a lot of you know, Gainelle and I just celebrated 50 years. That's a long time, you know, and you think about it. And out of those 50 years, 13 of those years were without the Lord. We got married, uh, we got married, by the way, when we were five, so, uh, at least she was. So, but 13 of those years were without the Lord, and then the other 37, right? If I'm doing my math right, thank you, but a couple of you are helping me, are with the Lord. And here's what I found, and this is what we're gonna boil, you know, it's this simple. Our marriage, I believe, has been successful because my wife has come alongside me and done everything she could do after we got saved to make sure I could serve the Lord with my gifts and talents and honor him. I have come in alongside my wife and made sure that she could serve the Lord with the gifts and talents he has given her and she could honor him. That's what it's all about. It's about us joining together, making sure the gospel works. Now listen, we're gonna learn later on, we're gonna use this phrase, I'm a complementarianism. And what that means is, I believe, listen, I believe what the Bible says about marriage. What, there's a role for wives, there's a role for husbands, and when they come together and function in those roles, you're gonna have a good marriage. Now listen, I know some people, that's archaic thinking, that's crazy thinking. No, it's not. It's been all through the very beginning of time. And listen, if you're not gonna play by those rules, let's say, check out what the world does. Are marriages successful in the world? Nope. There's over a million divorces every year, so that's two million lives d directly affected and many million children affected. So we need to think about that. I think it's an epidemic, and I think it's bad when, when the church then, almost we, listen, the church doesn't have much better statistics in the world, and that's because of one thing. We don't believe God. So we're gonna break this down. Tonight we're going to kind of look at what is marriage according to the Bible. Now I wanna read you kind of a long uh, quote here from, this is from a guy, Richard Koiken. I don't, uh, I don't know the guy, I like the commentary set that he's in, but I wanna I want read to you what he says because this makes a lot of sense. He says, it's best to consider the nature of God before trying to understand his rules for our behavior in marriage. So he says, listen, if we understand God, then we can understand what he's doing, right? So he says, Jesus endorsed the teachings of Scripture that there is only one God who is a unity in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and this profoundly affects Christian marriage. The Holy Trinity of God lives in a permanent, plural, equal, complementary ordered, loving union. So think about what he said. Now listen, he's gonna break that down for marriage. Since we were created like him, we thrive in marriage relationships like his Trinitarian union. Since God is permanent, God designed for lasting marriages rather than divorce. Since God is plural, God designed us for marriages of intimate companionship to spread, uh, express sexually to, to uh, counteract loneliness. Since God is three equal persons, God designed us for marriage in which husbands and wives are equally dignified. Since God is diverse, 
and complementary, God has created the relationship of marriage to be diverse and wonderfully complementary in a heterosexual rather than a homosexual union. The clues are, I love this part, the clues are anatomical, whatever the government legislates. So that's kind of interesting that he threw that in there. But then he says, and any other relationship cannot be marriage before God. Since God's Trinity is ordered with, the God, with God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, gladly submitting to God the Father, so he has designed all human relationships, including marriage, with authority exercised lovingly and submission giving willingly without any implications of superiority or inferiority. That's, I know that was a lot, but listen how powerful that is and how he's putting it together. And look, if we don't look at God and kind of draw from that, we will be people who we're gonna try and, listen, we're gonna try and sidestep things, we're gonna read scripture, and we're gonna try and change what they mean, change what they say, because we're coming at it from a world perspective rather than from a God perspective. So God, having said that, I want to read, and tonight I'm just going to read the whole passage we're going to be studying for a few weeks, then I'm going to zero in on, a, on, on just portions of it, and what we're going to do tonight is, again, define marriage, and again, God's design for marriage, one woman, one man, together, serving the Lord. That's his definition. In spite of what the world says and does, listen, I, I believe we live in a country that's free, and you're free to do what you want to do but don't call it marriage. I don't care what you call it. And that sounds kind of weird. Some people get mad at me. I don't care what you call it. Just don't call it marriage. It's not marriage. Listen, we shouldn't let the world, do no, I won't get off on that. So anyway, listen, the world tries to rip things off all the time. Marriage is instituted and designed and invented by God. We shouldn't let, as a church, let's don't let the world rip that off. So again, let's just read, let's read from verse 22 on and then we'll, we'll start digging in. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife as also Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, Love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as they love their own body, as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are all members of his body, uh, uh, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular, so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, I think that's powerful. I think just reading it, I think it's powerful if you're willing to put yourself under the authority of God's word. And what's so powerful to me 
is that Paul starts talking about marriage, and did you notice how he shifted? He's like talking about marriage, and then all of a sudden he's talking about the church and Jesus. And listen, I read that and I go, dude, you're getting sidetracked, right? We're not talking, you know, I'm thinking, we're not talking about, you know, church, ecclesiology, if you will. We're talking about marriage. And Paul goes, no, we're not. You see, I believe Christian marriage, the purpose of Christian marriage is to let the world know how great our God is. The church exists to let the world know how great our God is. And what he's letting us know, listen, as the church of Jesus Christ, how many times have I said from this pulpit, we're his body? And I think we believe that. If we're believers, we believe we're his body. Well, here's what he's saying. Just as we become the body of Christ, so when two people join in a Christian marriage, they become unified just as Christ and the church are unified. I love the idea of him thinking of that because here's the thing. Here's what I know. Jesus is never gonna give up on me. I love that song. They sang that middle song about, you know, he doesn't give up. I'm broken, and here's the great thing. I'm broken, and God doesn't go, oh, dude, you are so broken. He like says, I can fix that. I can make that right. And you know what that does for my marriage? It makes me understand something. I can make my marriage work no matter what happens, no matter what goes on. Hey, I would love to tell you that Gaynell and I have never disagreed. (laughs) Then I'd be a liar. Another line from the song, right? Hey, we have disagreements. We've even argued. No. I don't think... I don't think she's ever thrown anything at me. I'm trying to remember. But listen, marriage isn't, listen, if we look at marriage and think of marriage as trying to fulfill our happiness, or if we look at marriage as trying to, trying to fulfill pleasure, or any of the things, listen, you can plug all those things in, or even trying to listen. Some people I know, they go, man, I just need somebody around me. If you're looking at marriage for that, your marriage is probably gonna fail. You look at marriage as one thing for two people to come together and serve the Lord and bring him glory and honor. When you look at it that way, listen, you can walk together through almost anything. Doesn't mean you're not gonna get into situations that are gonna be difficult, but you can do that. So as Paul did this, when he branches off here, and he, you know, in verse 25, he tells husbands to love their wives, and then he says, just as Christ also loved the church, gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church. You notice how he just shifted that whole thing, and how Jesus takes care of us, and Jesus, I'm talking about us as the church, and Jesus, listen, there's gonna be a wedding feast one day that is gonna rival every wedding ever happen anywhere, and we get to be part of that. We get to be the bride, and we get to partake of that, and listen, he's saying, man, this is how husbands and wives are supposed to be. So having said that, then he quotes, I'm gonna skip down a little bit, then he gets down you know, to the verse 31, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now listen, mine's in italics, and it's it's also, you know, given a footnote that that's coming out of Genesis. I'm not so sure Paul was thinking, I'm going to quote Genesis, although he does. 
But this is marriage, period. I don't care what generation. I don't care what era. I don't care where you're at. That's it. So listen, I want to go, let's go to, what did I tell you, Matthew? Let's go check out Matthew and hear what Jesus says. And we're going to go to Genesis and then we'll come back to this. So Jesus, in, in, in Matthew chapter 19, the Pharisees, and I don't want to get into the part of divorce till we get to the very end of this. The Pharisees are asking Jesus about divorce. And they're trying to trap him and do stuff. And here's what I love. Where does Jesus go? Listen carefully. Where does Jesus go when they ask him about marriage and husbands and wife? Check out where he goes. Verse 4, and he answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them in the beginning made them male and female? There's your first clue, right? Man and woman, period. Men are not women, women are not men. I don't care what the world's saying right now. I don't care that they're telling you. I, I get so upset. Do you guys get upset with forms lately? What gender do you identify as? I always want to put freak or something like that. I mean, I'm thinking, what? It doesn't matter what I identify as, I can tell you what I am. Again, to quote our British friend, it's kind of anatomically uh, figured out, right? I don't care what you say. So listen created them male and female, man and woman, and he said, for this reason man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Listen, he quotes the same exact passage that Paul quoted, right? Jesus goes back to the bottom line, to the order of creation. And listen, God made us in his image, God created marriage, God instituted marriage, and we need to be people who were sold on that. And I think most of you are because you're here tonight and we've been advertising this. But then Jesus adds this part. He says, verse six, so then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And again, that's in marriage vows, most marriage vows. And it's not, listen, it's not something that we just did to end something nice with. You know, it's, it's kind of funny. I think some people go, oh, that's a nice way to end that. No, what we're doing is letting people know this is a God thing. And if God brings people together, then God brings them together permanently, not partially, not for a while, not to see if it works out, not to, listen, and once again, I don't think, listen, if you're looking for happiness and that's your objective, you're gonna get ripped off. Now, there is happiness in marriage. If you're looking for pleasure, the same thing. You're gonna get ripped off, but there is pleasure and I could go on and on. Those things come from having a marriage that's under the headship of Jesus Christ and understanding that, and then those things are the fruit of it. They're not the objective of it. The objective, once again, is to glorify God. So Jesus lays that out. Now listen, whenever I read that, then now we gotta go to Genesis. I love to spend time in Genesis on, on marriage. And Genesis chapter two. So for those of you who don't know your Bible well, that's the first book, and you only gotta do a couple pages. Genesis chapter two, and we just read that, right? A couple of you did. The Bible reading schedule, remember, just fake it, <laughs> right? So listen, we just, we just read through that, but every time I read this, listen, I love reading the, the whole thing of creation, and, and hey, I believe God made this world. I believe he made this universe. I believe he created everything that's created, and I believe he did it in a literal six days. And we can get into that when we study Genesis again, or you can go to our archives and look it up. But listen, then he gets down, and here's, like, my favorite scene. Like, I get this whole thing, God made Adam, and how did he form Adam? Out of the dust of the earth, right? 
I love this idea. Here's what people say. When you start thinking you're all that, just remember your great, 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 great grandfather was Adam, and his was dirt. So just remember that. You know, if you start thinking you're all that, that's where you came from. So listen, he made Adam, created Adam, and I kind of, I love to picture things. Do you guys picture things when you read your Bible? Imagination's great, isn't it? And so I picture, man, this beautiful, beautiful scene, you know, it, for me, kind of a tropical thing with great stuff and, you know, just this, this beautiful setting and Adam's just hanging out. And because he's kind of dense, Adam's sort of happy. He goes, look what I have, you know, this is great. Because he doesn't know, right? Hey, if you don't know, you don't know. But God knows. And God looked at Adam, and this is my favorite scene. Listen, God, it said, the Lord God, verse 18, said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. Now listen, I love this whole idea. Adam didn't come up with this. Get this in your heart. Man did not come up with the idea of marriage. It was God. God looked at Adam, and, you know, rightly so. If I leave this guy alone, this is going to be a mess, right? And now what God says, it's not good. What does he say? He didn't say he was lonely because Adam wasn't lonely. He didn't know any better. But it wasn't good for him to be alone. Why? Because he would probably muck it up. So God says, it's not good for him to be alone. I'm going to make a helper comparable. So he's making Adam a helper. Again, that's where we come up with some of the view, views on, on uh, 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 the woman being the one who comes alongside. But then in verse 19, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and he brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. So once again, listen, he's going back and he's rehearsing, right? God already did the creation, and this is looking back. But do you notice what happened? He brought all of these animals to Adam, and then it says, and Adam gave them all names. What was God doing? Here's what God was doing. Adam, you're a little dense, and it's not good for you to be alone, so I'm going I'm to let you understand that. So he brings them all the animals. He names them all. I always like to joke, and he got every name right. So it's interesting, right? But Adam named all the animals. I, I, I just picture that. How did, you know, how did he come up with the names? But anyway, named all the animals. But here's the one thing he never said, woman. He said cow, pig, duck, platypus. He never said that. And so what was God showing him? All of these are good, and all of these are going to be around you, but they're not going to compliment you. They're not what you need, Adam. They're some that you're going to rule over and you're going to do, but they're not what you need. And, and I love, so God kind of lets him figure them out. And verse 20, so Adam gave names to the cattle, to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And then here it is. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs, and he closed the flesh in its place. So God, I love this whole idea. God, right, gave him anesthesia, put him out, and he took that rib. And, and then people always say, did he really take a rib? Kind of think so. That's what it says. 
And I kind of think that's what he did. And here's the whole point is that woman came from man. Man came from the dirt of the ground. But woman, and to me, this is kind of like a higher thing. Woman, woman came from man. And she came, again, an important point, she came from a rib to be alongside of him, not from his feet to be under him, not from his head to be over him, but beside him. And he took that rib, and then it says, listen, he took that rib, and then verse 22, then the rib which God had taken from Adam, he made into a woman, and he brought her to man. And then Adam said, wow. Here's what he really said, yeah. Wow, man. You got woman, right? It's not a way to end a prayer either, and we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Stupidest thing I've ever heard, but we'll stay in the word. So listen, man, here's what, I, here's what I think. I think he's looking at that, and he cannot believe. Listen, Adam cannot believe, and here's what I love. He cannot believe what he's seeing. What did he just see? All of the animals, I mean, I, I get amazed at animals. I get amazed at the freaky animals that God makes, right? I mean, he makes some like you're going, really, God, were you kidding? You know, and, and he does that, but all of that stuff passed by, and it was when he brought woman, he said, wow, wow. And then he said this, listen, this is bone of my bone, or this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Listen, he's like so excited and we could get into the etymology and all of that of the word, but listen, here's the bottom line. He found that one to complete him, to come alongside to be that one and he is completely stoked about it. He can't believe, I, I think he's even thinking, I can't believe you, like you waited this long. I don't know how long he was alive before this happened, but he's like, yes, this is great. And then, Verse 24, therefore, and I believe this is the, the Lord speaking to him, man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. We got to understand that in order for a marriage to be healthy and strong and working properly, number one, we gotta get back to the thing. We're joining up to glorify God and to, to serve him and to work together. But number two, we have to understand something. All other relationships, every other relationship in your life needs to become secondary to your marriage. And again, I think that's why a lot of marriages fail. I watch some people and, hey, I see people that are so focused on their kids, they ignore each other, they don't give each other attention, and if you're doing that, I'm gonna let you in on something. Your kids are going to leave. And it's a bummer if that's your focus because here's what I've seen happen. The kids get old, they leave, and then the husband and wife don't even know each other. And they become strangers and oftentimes they get a divorce. They say 25 years is a hard, hard road to hit and that's where a lot of marriages break up and I think that's because they're so focused on this other that they're not focusing on their relationship. Now marriage, listen, marriage takes work and we'll talk about that in a moment but here's the thing, man. You need to understand that and I know, listen, when we're marrying young people, we usually tell them you gotta you know, sever your relationship with your parents. Not sever it, but change it and, and come to this and you know, lately in our fellowship, we've married a lot of people who, who are you know, getting on her second marriage or something. And we have to warn them, your kids cannot interfere with this marriage. 
And especially when we're doing blended families, it's hard to blend families. I'm not saying it's wrong, and I'm not saying making a judgment, but it's hard. And we have to explain to them, listen, your children, if you make them the priority, your marriage is not gonna work And as you begin to blend. So that's a difficult thing to do, and I'm not gonna do a whole marriage counseling thing right now. That's Pastor Jack's job. But listen, as we come together, we need to understand that. And then... It's permanent. When he says the two shall become one flesh, it's the same as the church becoming the body of Jesus Christ. Kind of get that in your head and in your heart. When we come together as one flesh, listen, it's not just talking about the sexual union in a marriage, although that's part of it. He's talking about the joining together just like we are the body of Christ. I believe, I believe a bazillion percent that we collectively are the body of Christ. And I believe he's never gonna let us go. I believe, listen, what we read in Ephesians, I believe he's gonna take us, he's gonna wash us, he's gonna get rid of all the dirt, he's gonna get rid of all the grossness, he's even gonna get rid of the wrinkles. I kinda like that idea, right? He's gonna get rid of all that, and he's gonna present us, listen to what he says, Jesus' goal is to present us as a beautiful bride. I've done a lot of weddings. I've never seen an ugly bride, ever. Maybe the day after, but not on the wedding day. Not kidding, decent. It's always great, I, I love, it's always great the bride and you know the whole idea of the whole, the whole two coming together and watching that and watching couples getting ready to make that, make that uh, uh, vow to each other and doing that, it's a wonderful thing, but it's a picture, listen, it's a picture of how we come to Jesus and we're together. So having said that, let's go back, let's, as we go back, let's stop at Matthew one more time because I wanna talk about the permanence of marriage. And then they came, They came to Jesus in verse seven, and they said to him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her her away? These guys, listen, he had different camps and stuff, and, and we don't have time to discuss all the stuff with the Talmud, but here's the bottom line. These guys are misquoting Deuteronomy chapter 24. Deuteronomy chapter 24 talks about divorce, but never does God command it. As a matter of fact, Malachi, says God hates divorce. Now, here's an important thing, because I love to emphasize this. He doesn't hate divorcees. He hates divorce. God doesn't hate people who have gone through that. Listen, I believe from being in ministry again for a long time, I believe some of the most crushed and hurt people are divorced people. And God doesn't cast them away and, and is angry with them. Why does it say he hates divorce? Because he knows, number one, it hurts the individuals involved. It's painful. It's horrible. Number two, the children. If there's children, he knows that. And number three, it dishonors him. So listen, again, he doesn't hate divorcees. I, I get uptight with churches that like act like divorcees or like they have leprosy or something and they, they act like, oh, I'm not gonna, you know, we can't do this. Listen, it's, here's the thing. Divorce is no different than any other sin. That's what I found in my life. Not that I've been divorced, but I found in my life, I, believe it or not, I do sin. Occasionally. Well. And here's what I do when I sin. I go to the Lord and I ask him to forgive me. 
and I confess to him, I know what I did was a sin. I think the best healing for divorced people is to go before the Lord and say, Lord, I know. I know what happened. And listen, and you just confess that to him, and my Bible says he'll forgive you. So get that healing. So again, talking about that, so God does hate it, but not divorcees. Why does he hate it again? Talking about the damage, the destruction it does. I've never heard, even though I hate this term, well, it's a very amicable divorce. Seriously? Like, what does that mean? No, it's not. So, having said that, the permanence of marriage, we need to understand that. But, there's the but clause, right? Jesus here, he says, in verse eight, he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. God knows, right? And so listen, then he says, and I say to you that whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced, commits adultery. Now that's a whole nother teaching and you can get our thing on Matthew. I'm not gonna go in great depth, but here's what, here's what I want us to understand. Once again, he says there are reasons for divorce. I believe this is one. I believe, listen, unfaithfulness, and we're gonna talk about that when we talk about husbands. Unfaithfulness is, is one of the things that I think is so degrading to a woman and so horrible to her and vice versa. But listen, unfaithfulness, he says, he says, that is a reason for divorce. Then he tells us in 1 Corinthians, another reason is abandonment. And then I believe implied in that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter seven is also the whole idea of abuse. There is, you know, it bothers me. I hear some pastors tell women, you need to stay in that relationship. Let me tell you, if you're being abused, you need to protect yourself. You need to get in a place where you're safe. And as a church, we should facilitate that for you. We should help you be safe. I'm not saying you should get a divorce. I'm saying you need to get your place, yourself in a safe place so that then things can be worked out. But no woman should stay under any kind of abuse. And, you know, that can go for a man. I remember one couple I, I uh, worked with. She was beating on him. It's kind of, you go, how does that happen? You had to see the couple. But... It's a whole different story, so it was, it was strange. But listen, don't stay in an abusive relationship just because, and if you've got some pastor telling you that, you need to change churches. You need to find another church. So having said that, there's where we're at. So we're at this place where, listen, God instituted this thing we call marriage. So if God instituted it, how do I find out how to do it? Do I get self-help books? Do I... Go to seminars, yeah, everybody's holding their Bible up. How do I figure out how to do marriage? I read God's word, but listen carefully. It's not just reading it. We read that section. It's that reading it is one thing. Doing it is another thing. And what I find interesting is, we'll talk about it when we get there, but the whole idea of this submission thing freaks people out, and too many pastors, well, go back to, go back to Ephesians. Not, not pastors, but too many pastors and commentators, they go back to verse 21, and here's what they said. Submitting to one another in verse 21, we looked at that a few decades ago. How, when was the last time we were in Ephesians? 
like first of December? Anyway, we looked at it, submitting to one another uh, in the fear of God. And a lot of people go, well, he tells wives to submit, but in verse 21, he told everybody, listen carefully. Verse 21 is an introduction on what he is meaning, and he explains it in verses 22 through 33. Here's what people say. Well, you know, if wives are supposed to submit to their husbands, then husbands need to submit to their wives because that's what verse 21 says. Seriously? Like, where do you come up with that? And then here's my question to him. Well, then he tells children to obey their parents, so are parents supposed to obey their children? Are we gonna reverse all that? Here's what we hate. We hate the idea of submission. And it's not just women. Everybody, man. And listen, especially if you're from Bisbee. Like you got that rebellious part of you. And, and listen, if we are not willing to submit ourselves to the word of God, you're gonna have a hard time in your marriage, period. It's gonna be a rough time. It's gonna be difficult. But if we will look at the word of God open and honestly and say, you know what? I'm not fully comprehending this and hopefully when we do this, we're gonna spend a whole evening on husbands, a whole evening on wives, and, and get into that. But I wanted to introduce it with, this is what marriage is, this is how God looks at it, and this is the way he's put it together. Now, having said that, I want us to learn what is my role as a husband. Like I know when I got married, I didn't have a clue. And I kind of wished I would have been saved at the time, because I think it would have had some more help, and I wouldn't have mucked some of the things up that I messed up. But Listen, if we look at God's word and we go, here's what he says, I know, I know I fall short in my marriage. I know I'm not perfect. But you know what, man? I am going to strive with everything I have as a male to love my wife as Christ loved the church. My wife, I know, she strives at submitting to me in a biblical sense, not in a world sense, and again, we're gonna define it, so I'm leaving it there so you guys will come back. So you listen to that. My wife is going to do that with everything she has, why? Because here's what God says. I designed marriage, I made you distinctly man and woman, I wanna emphasize that, and now I'm bringing you together to be one. And this is how that happens. How do we get that unified, that unity in marriage? There's only one way through his word and understanding his word and understanding our roles, explaining them, and then being men and women who are saying, you know what? And this is why I called it this. I'm gonna make my marriage count for the world. I want the world to see marriage is, can be possible and can be beautiful under the headship of Jesus Christ. And that's what I, hey, I'm gonna make it count. And you know, now more than ever, right? The world is messed up. The world's trying to tell you, you know, that I guess you can marry your dog if you want. I don't know, it's getting crazy. Let's make a difference. Let's covenant in our hearts. We're gonna make our marriages count. This is gonna be phenomenal. And you know what? I kind of love doing it in this setting rather than a couple's retreat. This is kind of cool because we're all here together. We're the church. And as a church, we want to learn how to do this. So next week, we'll do husbands, maybe wives, maybe both. I want you to keep coming. So 
you know, it's difficult because I don't want to say we're going to do husbands and then all the wives go, well, I don't need to go to that. He needs to go to that. And when you do wives, like, she needs to go. I don't need to go. So I'm not going to tell you which direction we're going to go, and it'll just be fun. You'll figure it out, I guess, after one. <laughs> but one thing we need to keep in mind, God is not telling you how to tell your partner, your spouse, how to be a good spouse. He's telling you how to be a good spouse. Don't ever forget that. Don't come away from this like, again, no elbowing, none of that stuff of, you know, if you would do this, this is, you know, are you listening right now? Listen to what Pastor Pat's saying. None of that. You need to listen for your own heart and be edified that way, all right? Let's stand up and pray. Father, we do thank you, God. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for loving us and caring for us. And God, we thank you that you, you do care enough that, Lord, as we look at your word, that, God, we can learn and understand every nuance of life. I think of how amazing, again, the end of Ephesians is. You care about marriages. You care about how we raise our kids. You care about how we do our jobs. You care about our, our world and us being attacked by several things. God, you just lay it all out. And it all begins with being men and women who are filled with the Holy Spirit, walking with God. A lot of people can exchange vows, but only two people who are dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ can ever have what God intended for marriage to be. And Lord, it's my prayer that my brothers and sisters standing with me tonight are convinced that God, they can honor you with their lives. Those that are at home are convinced right now that they can honor you and we could make these marriages such a, quote, good spectacle for the world to see that they would be caught up in all of that. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.